Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Teacher Talk, the podcast where we discuss all things related to teaching. I'm your host, Tom Hughes, and in today's episode we are joined by a pre-service teacher who aims to discuss what the term of inquiry into practice might mean for a pre-service teacher in 2020. Pierre de Villiers, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Tom. Pierre has just completed his internship and is about to finish his Master of Teaching degree at the University of Sydney. Thank you for taking the time to join our podcast today, Pierre. It's great to be here. I love the Teacher Talk podcast and have found it super helpful in my teacher education. Well, that's why we're here. Before we start talking about your inquiry into practice, why don't you tell us a little more about your teaching experiences and the school you attended for your internship? Sure. I spent nine weeks teaching a stage three year six class with a range of abilities. The majority of the students in the class are native English speakers with only three students speaking a language other than English and one student on the autism spectrum with, a vi- with vision impairment. The student body is made up of diverse multicultural backgrounds and a majority come from socially and economically advantageous backgrounds too. The kids all showed an eagerness to learn and were very quick to engage in class discussions. It sounds like you had a dream class there, Pierre. I sure did. However, it wasn't all happiness and laughter. At times, I felt like I just needed to press pause and, well, reflect. That's understandable. I think reflection is a highly undervalued tool that most teachers do not include in their toolbox nowadays. And that's actually a great segue into our topic for today's episode. There's been quite a confusion around the topic of inquiry into practice. And as many listeners will know, reflection is a vital part of this practice. Pierre, would you mind explaining to our listeners what it means to you? Personally, I see inquiry into practice as a way of reflecting on situations or occurrences and actively improving one's knowledge in order to better the chances of meeting the learning needs of all students. Inquiry allows us to not only look at what happened in our teaching or in the classroom, but also gives us the opportunity to consider why something happened and how we can improve on it to enhance student learning opportunities. Uh, Jay and Johnson elaborate on this idea of reflection and explain that in analyzing and understanding our reflections, we are encouraged to provide improved and efficient uh, teaching. Furthermore, inquiry into practice requires us to gather numerous forms of evidence to assist us in improving our teaching practice. In order to improve teaching and learning in our classrooms, we need to understand what our students know. We need to gather evidence about our own practice and how it influenced students. And we also need to gather research evidence from reliable sources. Kaysen and Halbert emphasizes the importance of this kind of evidence-based research as it encourages us to analyze the experiences of other teachers. While the evidence gathered from research is not absolute, it does provide opportunities to help in the decision-making of what, the, what to utilize in the classroom. Evidence-based research is not restricted to literature research or study material. It also encourages us to conference with other teachers and in doing so expands our teaching knowledge and professional learning. It also helped that the university ensure that we have a study buddy that we could bounce ideas off of to help us in our reflections and decision-making. I see. Now, earlier you mentioned that inquiry into practice is a way of reflecting on certain actions. 
Why do you think certain reflection is so important and can you explain how it has impacted your professional learning? Uh, sure. As pre-service teachers, we are taught to reflect on numerous situations in our teaching career. We are encouraged to follow Dewey and Chance concepts of reflecting on action, in action, and perhaps the most important, reflecting for action. Reflection helps us deepen our understanding of the learning content. Um, it helps transform perspectives and strengthens teacher-student relationships. There is no one-size-fits-all method for reflection, which is why reflecting in more ways than one will aid you in determining how to provide the best support for the needs of the students. And supporting the needs of the students is at the heart of what we do, isn't it? <laughs> I couldn't agree more. For the second part of your question, I'll have to give you a little bit more context about my internship to help you understand how reflection has impacted my professional learning. That would be great. The majority of the students in the class were all very engaging and welcomed me into their classroom with ease. I noticed early on, however, that a few students seemed to lack engagement while my supervising teacher was teaching. I found the same results in the first lesson I taught. The students lost focus and as a result were disengaged for part of my lesson. My supervising teacher commented on this in her feedback, which made me realize that catering for every child will definitely not be an easy feat. <laughs> Don't we know it? <laughs> After speaking with her about it, I learned that two students in particular showed no interest in learning, one rushing to finish whatever task was asked of them and the other not participating at all as he doesn't understand. The latter student is on the autism spectrum, can be very defiant at times and has a student learning support officer to assist him in his learning. As a result, my supervising teacher suggested we minimize our time incorporating ICT. In fact, this links quite well to one of my first reflections in action that occurred while teaching. Oh, really? Please carry on. Uh, I was delivering a lesson on writing when I was informed that a student was going to be joining the class with a broken finger. This meant that she would have to use a laptop to aid her in completing her task. Prior to the lesson, it was already decided upon that the assessment had to be handwritten in order to meet all the success criteria. Once we had started the assessment, a handful of students asked me if they could too use the laptops to finish the assessment. I took a step back and considered what this would mean for the assessment criteria and whether or not it would impact the students' learning. I could see that I wasn't giving equal access to all students, and so I decided to change the format to allow for a multimodal assessment delivery. Along with my supervising teacher, I was worried that my in-class decision to change the assessment format would have a challenging effect on grading the students' work. In the end, my decision actually didn't have serious complications. Instead, I simply needed to alter the success criteria for the assessment task. Interesting. Are there perhaps any other situations that you encountered while on your internship that made you stop and ask yourself, I wonder if I could have done that differently the second time round? Funny you mention that because there is certainly a student who comes to mind that fits this very situation. Near the end of my time at the school, I had a discussion with, the, with a student who had been experiencing difficulties with maintaining focus in class. His name would often be written on the board as a form of behavior management. I noted this in my re reflection journal 
and could see that he found this very embarrassing and that it appeared to affect him on a personal level. As part of reflection on the situation, I brought up the topic with my study buddy from the university as a means to open our professional dialogue and also to check if she had successful experiences in similar situations that I could gain an insight into. We concluded that the best possible outcome would be to talk to the student and hear and understand his perspective in the hopes that he might reveal a possible source for this disengagement. My university buddy also suggested including space for the student's voice in this dialogue. As a result, I decided to ask the student how we could prevent this sort of behavior from occurring, and we came to the conclusion that setting personal goals for the student um, is the best, which we did. Unfortunately, the following week, there was no change in his behavior, as put by the other teachers, which resulted in me doubting our strategy. So once again, we discussed strategies and he mentioned removing himself from situations where he thought other students were not engaged or misbehaving. I see. And what was the result? It was not long after that that my time at the school came to an end. My time was up and I did not get to see the result of our discussed strategies. Oh, what a pity. Yeah. Well, even though I had to return to my own university classes, the trajectory path for renewed engagement and positive behavior for this student in particular seems to be headed in the positive direction. I have every confidence that given a few more weeks with the student, there were enough glimmers of hope burning that an effective change was on the way. It's clear your reflection on action and your inquiry into practice has helped you determine and understand what helped your students in their learning and what might have taken away from it. How did your inquiry into your teaching practice develop closer to the end of your internship? As I progressed in teaching the students, I found one tool very useful in my inquiry into practice, the spiral of inquiry framework. This framework is a systematic process for assessing and developing student outcomes, their academic, social, and well-being needs. This inquiry framework is collaborative where teachers, students, and the community work together to ensure the best outcomes for student needs. I've heard about this framework and the work Timperley, Kesa, and Halbert have done. It sounds like a wonderful framework that should take a whole school approach. I believe that's the goal. However, it also takes time to implement effectively, which is something I didn't have much of. Therefore, the framework guided me in collecting evidence from students and research to aid me in my reflection. Using the first step of the spiral framework, scanning, I determined that the aforementioned student, not actively participating in the lessons, required more attention and recognition from the teacher. Interesting. And how did you determine this? Well, after sitting down with him and explaining to him that I would like to focus on his work for a study I'm doing at the university, he started participating in class discussions and improved the quality of his writing. I found he constantly sought approval and recognition from me. Would you say this is an example of reflection for action? I would, yeah. I think it provides a great example of reflection for action. After I had conferenced with my buddy via Zoom, we discussed the influences relationships have on participation in class. And this made me think about evidence I'd gathered from the student. Oh, it's a bit late, but I should probably inform our audience that I will be including all evidence Pierre has brought in with him today on our podcast website for their reference. Please continue, Pierre. Right. It shows the quality of work the student produced 
before the start, um, before I started paying him more attention and allowing for more recognition compared to his work produced at the end of my internship as part of his summative assessment. I also noticed, as seen in the last piece of evidence I brought in, that he takes the time to consider what he is writing about, as I found he wasn't rushing through his work as he did before. It was also evident that he wanted to impress me as he was constantly seeking my affirmation. This evidence encouraged me to better adapt my future teaching to better cater for the individual's social, academic, and well-being needs. My aim in improving the teacher-student relationship is for students to be more actively engaged in the lesson, thereby achieving the intended object of learning. I can see your point there. The topic of student engagement is often fraught with difficulties, and I like how you used a strong teacher-student relationship to create engagement and improve participation. Where did the impetus come from to explore such a topic? Well, during my discussions I had with my study buddy over Zoom, she prompted me to delve further into the research that underpins relationships established at school. Metacognition was a word that kept on appearing, but it wasn't until I read the research by Timperley, Case and Halberd that I found I had a clearer understanding of the term. Therefore, I made an effort to try and include some metacognition strategies as suggested by Price Mitchell. One of the strategies I incorporated in class was the idea of confusion being an integral part of learning. I wanted students to understand that it is normal to not understand everything, to have questions after a lesson. This also helps build a trusting relationship between the teacher and student. Interesting. I appreciate how you think outside the box when considering what strategies to apply to your teaching. <laughs> Thanks. If I had more time with the class, I believe I would have seen a much bigger improvement in student engagement. I believe that enabling students to feel comfortable in class and building better student-teacher relationships will help them in their learning and also help teachers better understand how their students learn. Using the spiral of inquiry framework and other metacognition strategies will help teachers build a better student-teacher rapport. This will greatly assist us in ensuring students are actively participating in lessons that they can enjoy, lessons that produces work that students want to impress us with. Could I just jump in and say it's wonderful to see a fresh perspective like this. I particularly like the way in which we can see the application of metacognition strategies to be an effective method in teaching pedagogy. Mm. It will most likely not apply to all students and teachers out there, but I really do hope you consider using these strategies in your own teaching, if needed. Thanks, Pierre. So just to wrap up here, you have helped us to see how you reflected in action during a lesson where you needed to change the format of how students were able to deliver their assessments. You also reflected on action when you did some research and gathered more information from a peer about how to help a student improve their engagement in class and to avoid having his name written on the board for bad behavior. And lastly, you showed us how you reflected for action when you decided to include metacognition in your teaching pedagogy by focusing on building better teacher-student relationships in class. That's right. And these were only a few of the things I found myself reflecting on and for over the short nine weeks of my professional experience. 
I encourage other pre-service teachers to consider these approaches and implement it in their own teaching as needed. I couldn't agree more with you, Pierre. Thank you for joining us today and giving us an insight into your inquiry into practice. Again, thank you for having me, Tom. For more things related to teaching, join me next time for another episode of Teacher Talk. Goodbye.